Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Jeremiah chapter 2 and the other in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you don't have your Bible with you, don't worry about it. You can look at the downloaded notes, and we're even going to put uh, the verses that we're going to be reading on the screen. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series called The Ultimate. And the big idea for this series is super simple, all right? We have limited time, you and I. We have one life, and we want to live it to the fullest. I think every man uh, wants that and agrees with that. The problem with wanting to live the ultimate life, living it to the fullest, is what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, that depends on who you ask. If you ask culture, you know, you'll hear, hey, you only live once. If it feels good to you, if it looks good to you, if, uh, if it sounds good, uh, go ahead and do that and do it now. The message is live for the immediate. Now, that's if you ask culture. But if you ask Christ, if you're a man of God and you ask Christ, hey, I have limited time, one life, I want to live it to the fullest, he'll say, that's right, you do only live once and that time is short. But here's your filter. If it's good for God, if it's good for people, and if it's good for your eternity, that's a different filter than what culture is saying in terms of how you discipline your choices. And so in this session, what we want to look at is just another factor that, that weights us toward living for the ultimate and living for Christ versus living for the immediate and listening to culture. And to get us thinking in the right direction, I want you to think about a mom and a teenage son, and the teenage son is going out with his friends, and he's he's running through the living room, and maybe she's at the kitchen, and he's running out, and he gets out the front door to go get in the car with his friends, and she runs to the door, and she shouts, make good choices. What is she doing? What does she know? Well, she knows that he's now in the arena of the world. She knows that he's going to be put under pressure. She knows that he can, in the moment, choose what's immediate and maybe not healthy, or uh, he can choose values. He can choose a right way to go, even choose his faith, right? Now, you and I uh, are not teenage boys. Uh, we're sons who grew up. Um, and as men who grow up, our decision-making patterns develop. We adopt values that inform our decisions, right? Our, our moral and, and spiritual compass gets tested. We get tempted, right? But here's the difference now. The difference now is that the weight of our choices are much heavier. We're, as men, not islands, right? Grown men, we don't make decisions in a vacuum. In fact, there are family, there are friends, there are business partners, there are children, there are spouses, there are sons, there are daughters, and the spirals of their relationships going forward that are impacted by some of the decisions that we make. And uh, I confess that most of the time I don't think about that, and probably neither do you, uh, that there's a potential blast zone uh, related to one good choice or one bad choice that, that ripples out and can radiate one of two things. It can radiate blessing on 
the people around you, or it can radiate chaos. And if you're like me, I would love to have some of those moments back, right? And that's why the challenge for us as God's men is to remain in this short life, and we have to look at it like that because that's what God says. It. He says it's like a vapor, is to remain ultimately disciplined in our choices. Uh, and we know how hard it is to sort of establish spiritual integrity. We got to make consistent choices over time and under pressure to develop spiritual integrity. And man, sometimes, I know for myself, that's taken years, decades to build that foundation, uh, to be disciplined over the course of years. But then guys, and we see it happening all the time in one moment, it's like, all that integrity goes away under pressure in one moment. We get sloppy. We lose our center. We choose the immediate and the whole foundation crumbles. And so that's why God says, yeah, life is short. It's a vapor. But he also says that we can live ultimately for God, for good, for people, and for our personal eternity to the end by staying spiritually disciplined. And yeah, we can make good choices. Now, the Bible reveals men of God who, who started strong and over the course of their life, they built a lifestyle and they built a set of disciplines in there that kept them faithful, right? Faithful to the end. But then the Bible also reveals other men who started strong, but then they started to slide with from that ultimate, eternal, God and good and people mindset into living for the immediate and taking their cues from culture, right? And I'm glad that God has those stories, all right? Because if it was just the guys who made it through and they did great, yeah, you can learn from that. But you know, I learn a lot from studying my own mistakes and that's why I'm glad God puts the mistakes of his men. He's not afraid of showing the problems of his people or the mistakes of his people because this, their stories are in here for us, right? So that we can study them, so that either we can see those tendencies in ourselves, recognize them, or even avoid uh, the, the pattern of slide so that we can make it to the end, right? On, on the back of the mistakes of others, we don't have to make those same mistakes. So I want us to, with our first passage of scripture, just listen to God himself describe what he sees happening with his men. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter two. Now I want you to listen in to where they were, but then where they went. God says this in Jeremiah chapter two, verses seven through 14, he says, and when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me. The prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. Therefore, I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar. 
Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Wow, what a picture, right? You have God, a community of his people, a community of his men, right? And they start strong. They get to know him. They experience his miracles. They're delivered by him. They get to know his ways and his word. And they start to trust his promises and they listen to his promise. And then they, they get to this place, right, in their relationship with God, a place of abundance, a place of, of blessing. God says it's a place of bounty and goodness. And then there's this transition. It's just like they start losing spiritual altitude, right? And let's look at that and let's study this. And let's see if maybe we can recognize some tendencies that might be happening in ourselves or just observe and avoid this process that gets God's people living for the immediate versus the ultimate. The transition from the ultimate to the immediate involves, write this down, sliding from the pure to the impure. You notice the language in this passage. God says, you went into a place of bounty and goodness, right? A place of purity. And then he says, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you, right? And uh, the way we should think about this is where we just begin to add a little impurity to a pure relationship with God, where we sort of give ourselves permission to say, you know what, 95% of my life, you know, it's God, it's Jesus, it's Bible, it's, you know, it's love him, it's worship, it's all stuff. But there's just this little part of that, which is impure. Now, we may think, that's oh, not a big deal. But ask a wife if just, you know, a one night stand on the side, just once, one night, if that defiles her relationship with her husband, or maybe, you know, think about a tall glass of water. Glug, 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 fill it up, right? It's got like 80 ounces. And then just take a little dropper, just put one drop of cyanide or poison in there. You gonna drink that water? It only takes a little impurity to defile or make impure the whole thing. And that's how the slide begins. We just kind of allow for some impurity, some compromise, some little foothold to get a place in our lives and we let it stay. Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of guys out there. It's just, hey, I'm the 95-5 guy, but guess what? The way God looks at it, it's like just a little. Now, that's, that's not living for the ultimate. You've lost a little bit of, get that discipline back. Call that what it is, impure. And be like God. He says, you'll be holy because I'm holy. All right, and make the effort, right? Second, we see the transition from ultimate to the immediate involves sliding from acknowledging God to ignoring him. There's this progression in the passage. 
and it's a, it goes like this. Those who taught my word ignored me. That was step one. Then the guys teaching the word, they influenced the influencers, the rulers. Then the rulers turn against them. And then the men of God, the prophets, they start talking like they don't even belong to God. And it's this weird thing of moving from, yeah, I'm fully identified with God to we don't talk about him anymore, right? And it's an internal thing. It's a decision. And then it moves to an external behavior, right? And, um, and it's this domino effect. But it starts with just like, eh, not, not in this part of my life. Eh, maybe over here, but eh, not over there, right? Where functionally in certain parts of their lives, they were committed and obedient to God, but then they let that little impurity in. And then all of a sudden in that area where they wanted to uh, behave the way they wanted, they became functional atheists. And as a researcher of men and Christian men in particular, I see the same thing happening with us. That we can believe that the Bible is true, attend Bible studies, go to church, do these different things that represent a lifestyle that's committed to the ultimate. But then in these other areas, it's like God's a buzzkill. And we just don't talk about him there. Uh, we, don't, we just ignore him there. We don't bring him up. We don't let his influence come into that area of our life, right? Ignoring, turning, and then turning against, and then acting out the ignoring and the inner turning against. All right, that's part of the slide. Third thing we observe is the transition from the ultimate to the immediate involves sliding from redeeming time to wasting time. This is huge, right? So as the impurity gets in, as sort of the, the, the compartmentalization starts and culture starts to influence over God, uh, they start investing more time and energy into these other sources of perceived meaning, right? Other religions, other practices, other habits that are outside of their relationship with the one true God. And God assigns a value to that. And it's this. In fact, he, he says things like worthless or you're wasting your time. You ever said that to somebody? It's just like, you're doing stuff. You, you think it's going to give you something, but you're wasting your time. You think you're going to get an outcome out of it, but you're wasting your time. Um, I know I'm speaking to many hundreds of men out there who are watching this. And you know you're investing in something that is outside of God or a habit or an attitude or a relationship. And God is saying right now, you are wasting your time. It's worthless because I'm not celebrating that part of your life. I can't celebrate it because it's sin. And that's what was going on here. Idolatry is sin. It's anytime you put something in place of God or anytime you elevate yourself or something else over God's person and God's will. So that's the next part of the slide. They go from redeeming time and living ultimately now and they get into the land and it's all good, but then the slow slide, they start wasting their time on godless things. Fourth, we see the slide involves moving from the one true God to lesser gods. God describes it like they're trading in a car. It's like they trade in, you know, a really nice, nice car for a junker, for a jalopy. 
He says, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? So God's standing back, watching his people make this awful exchange of him for these other pursuits and these other identities and these other values and these other beliefs and these other behaviors and just going, wow, this is strange. Why would you do that? I mean, because they're deceived. God has been assigned a lower value because of the impurity. It's been polluted. He's been ignored. He's been turned against. Time has been invested in over time. It's like a ship that starts to tack over time. The longer time goes on the wrong course, the further away the boat gets. And that's what's happened with God's people. They've exchanged the one true God for lesser gods, all right? Let's look at the next thing the slide involves. It involves sliding from owning my faith to leasing it, okay? God says, you abandoned me right? It's like God didn't abandon them. He owns them as his people. He's committed to them. He's committed to the relationship. And as we read the Bible, we see just how committed God is to his people. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm still committed. They, on the other hand, the sliders, the ones who started strong, but then began the slide, right? They're like, no, we're in a, we're in a lease, maybe with an option to buy, right? You know the mentality of that? owning versus leasing. I mean, just think about it. You know, car dealers tell me this all the time. You know, the people who lease cars, man, they don't care how they treat the car. The people who own it, man, they they maintain it a little bit better. They care about it. Why? Because they they own it. But see, it was it's convenient to to lease your faith if you want to do what you want to do. So you own it here, but you lease it there, right? Well, let's just move over to the lease. You know, it's it's optional. I can break a contract any kind of, anytime I want. Might have to pay a little price, but I can get out of it, right? Question, are you owning your faith? Do you own it, right? With that same mentality of care, concern, diligence, it's yours because God has not disowned you, but, or do you lease it? Is it a convenience thing? Is it a comfort thing? Do I turn into a leaser when it gets uncomfortable or, or when I won't be accepted, or when it's unpopular, right? So that's how the slide, we find ourselves leasing our faith, abandoning God uh, when it's convenient or comfortable or when we want what we want. And then the last part of the slide, from the ultimate to the immediate, involves sliding from what truly matters to what doesn't matter. And that's that whole picture. When God says at the end of this passage, they abandoned me, the fountain of living water, right? That's a continuous source. It uh, has an infinite supply. It's always there. And he says, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You ever said that? Well, that argument doesn't hold any water, right? It's just leaking. So all that energy, all that investment into this way of life that's outside of God, into immediate things, culture, cultural practices, idolatry, self-gratification, materialism, hedonism, narcissism, whatever it is. And we look to that to, to fill us up, and it just never, it never fills us up, right? It just leaks right out the bottom. We dug it for ourselves. We tried to 
put in a cistern, and the key to having a cistern that holds something, in that day, water, is that you put plaster in and it's not supposed to leak. But God says that if you try to move from the ultimate life over to the immediate mentality, right? Living for culture, living in response to culture, your feelings, right? Impulses. While you have a relationship with him, right? It's not going to work because this, this is cracked, right? This will not hold meaning for you. And some of you are at that point right now. You've kind of realized, it's like, man, I keep investing in this and I don't get back. I go to draw from it again. There's nothing there. I keep investing in it, right? That's a sign that you're on a slide from living for the ultimate to the immediate. Now, what is God's heart and mind with respect to this, gosh, this, this turn, this abandonment, this slide, right? Well, in verse 21 of the same chapter, God says this, I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt, wild, Vine. In other words, how did you go from living for me to living for yourself? You know, well, it's easy to see that somewhere along the way, they let their guard down. They gave themselves permission. They got sloppy. They, they, they got undisciplined. And I know this just, there's a lot of guys watching, your athletes, your coaches, you played sports. You know, when you get undisciplined from the fundamentals, you get sloppy, right? Play looks sloppy. And that's pretty much what happened here? These guys decided, hey, it's okay to take a vacation from my identity as, as God's man. I'm giving myself uh, permission, right? And, uh, and, and, and that's not true for every man in the Bible. Some men slide and do that. Some don't. But you see, there's a difference between those who do and don't. And it's discipline. Like they've disciplined themselves. No, I can't give myself permission to take a vacation, from my identity because that is a slide and a slippery slope. Trust me, over the past 30 years of doing men's ministry, I have gotten so many emails and so many letters and so many testimonies of guys who decided in a moment, hey, I can be undisciplined just for a little bit. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody, right? And that was the beginning of the end because there was such a big blast zone of chaos that erupted in their lives. And maybe... Mm, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe the bomb has gone off and you've made a choice. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're watching me because God's telling you, all right, there's no other way around it. Take responsibility and let's start being disciplined today. And that's our next section, right? The common denominator for men who live and think ultimately is that they're ultimately very disciplined. And I wanted to define the word discipline, right? It's a noun, and it means control that's gained by enforcing a prescribed pattern of thinking and behaving. Listen to this. Training that corrects, that molds, that perfects the mental, physical, or spiritual faculties or moral practices. And if you have the downloaded notes, I want you to circle a prescribed pattern. You know, in the Bible, imitation is invited. Uh, Jesus would say to people, come, follow me, and I will make you uh, fishers of men. After the invitation, he says, the process is imitation. There's a prescribed pattern. Uh, follow my way of life, and that's how you can live the ultimate life. 
Paul says, you've seen my pattern, all right? Follow my pattern. He invites men to follow a prescribed pattern of a way to be and a way to believe and a way to behave. Very important. What's that? That's discipline, right? A disciplined way to be, a disciplined way to believe, and a disciplined way to behave. And the Bible encourages us to think about our walk with God kind of as a race with a prize and, and to discipline ourselves like that athlete so that we can win. It talks about that very famous passage, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. All right, let's, look, let's read that. Paul says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we, God's men, do it for an eternal prize. So I, God's man, run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. All right, so let's look now at what disciplined thinking, that's what we just read, looks like as God's man. And then after we look at what disciplined thinking looks like as God's man, then we'll see what disciplined living looks like. And we're gonna see that this is very doable, but let's look at the thinking part because we are what we think and we do what we think. So we gotta start with, gosh, how do we think about limited time, one life, and living it for what's good for God, what's good for my personal eternity, all right? Uh, well, gleaning from the passage, we see uh, that disciplined thinking, as God's man says, if I value the prize, that's the first thought. I, if I value the prize, okay, I gotta see my life as headed toward a finish, and at the finish, I get a prize, okay? The quality of my eternity. That's a prize, that's important, okay? Jesus promises rewards. The Bible promises rewards for staying disciplined on earth, right? For the hope of reward in eternity, all right? So if I value faithfulness before God, if I value no regrets when I meet God face to face, if I value the quality, having a quality eternity, if I value investing now to get rewards in heaven. What they are, I don't know, but Jesus promises them. If I value the prize, write that down, and then now fill in the second line. I accept the pain. If I value the prize, I accept the pain. In other words, to put it another way, the, the price I pay on earth of discipline is worth the prize in heaven. Paul is emphasizing, hey, you know these athletes, you know, that, that I'm talking about here, they do it for a price that doesn't last. But we, God's men, we do it for an eternal prize. Just think about that. The God who made this place in seven days, the guy who causes earth to hang, dangle in space, three spots perfectly from the sun, perfectly tilted, for perfect chemical components, the moon controls the tide. Yeah, that guy, he's got prizes for us and they're individual to you. Wow, think about that, man. Just let it sink in and let it motivate you. So let's follow the right thinking, right? If I value the prize, 
I accept the pain that comes or the price to get the price. And then what follows is this. I train my choices. Write that down. So now, okay, that's worth it. It's going to cost me. Okay, what choices now, what yeses and nos do I need to adjust? What yeses and nos do I need to train? Uh, and it's going to cost me. But if I train my yeses and nos, I know it's going to cost me here, but it's going to get me a reward here, right? So if I value the prize, I accept the pain, I train my choices, and then because we're thinking like this, write this down, I fear the alternative. Look at what Paul says. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. Circle that. I'm not just shadow boxing. In other words, I'm not throwing punches that don't land. I'm throwing punches that land. Boom. They hit. They hit the mark. They hit the mark. They count, right? You know, in a boxing match, how they have punches thrown versus punches landed. Man, Paul's just like, I want to land my punches. I want to land my choices. My choices are my punches, okay? And then he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I should. Otherwise, and here's the alternative. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Wow, right? There's a man. When you get DQ'd for for not doing something that you could have done, man, there's a lot of regret there, right? Listen, as your brother in Christ, as your friend, as someone who's fighting the same fight, you know what? Um, I want my punches to land. I want my I want my choices to land every day, from the minute I wake up to how I serve my wife to how I lead my children to how I am as a coworker. I want to glorify God in everything that I do because I want my punch count not to have a bunch of swings and misses so that when I land in front of Jesus, I'm going to experience as little regret as possible. So that's what disciplined thinking as God's man involves. Hey man, I value the prize because I value it. I'm going to pay the price to win the prize. I'm going to train my choices now. I'm going to adjust my yeses and nos. Man, I don't want the alternative, okay? Now, what about the living part? Okay, that's how we're thinking, but what about the living part? What does it actually look like, all right, in everyday life as God's man? Well, it talks about that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read a passage from that. It's on the first page of your notes, and then it follows into the next page it says this. This is advice to God's man. It says, stay, stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so. Making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. That is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. We are banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. Right? Get the word out. Teach these things. And don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture giving counsel, teaching, and that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid their hands on you and prayed. Keep that dusted off and in use. Wow. Okay. 
So let's unpack. We went through the disciplined thinking, but what's the disciplined living now? Now, how? what choices am I training myself around? What do I got to do on a consistent basis, all right? Well, disciplined living is God's man involves, write this down, well-defined boundaries. Well-defined boundaries. And you notice in the passage, Paul is saying it's a war of distraction, all right? And he says, stay clear of these, these theologies, these these movements, these silly stories that, that kind of get dressed up like religion, it's a distraction, right? Don't, don't get taken off course. Don't get pushed off your mark. You got to keep some predetermined boundaries, all right? Decide your yeses and your noes, but don't get distracted. Secondly, disciplined living as God's man involves well-defined priorities, right? So, if, if I have good boundaries, that's going to keep this out, but then I still got to live. I still got to put my energy into stuff. And Paul just makes it really simple. He says, exercise daily in God. I don't know if you have a workout routine. I do, but um, that has a result, right? And it's consistent. And uh, sometimes I slip, you know, go on vacation or whatever, but I resume it and I got to get discipline. I exercise daily in God and I try to live a disciplined life. Listen, in God, right? That's the important thing. And there's a question. How's your daily, right? Daily life in God. And then are you living a disciplined life or lifestyle in God? In other words, as I show up to my day, am I making choices with, gosh, I'm going to say yes to whatever shows love for God and people and no to what harms those two objectives in my life. That's a disciplined life in God. Number three, Disciplined living as God's man involves a well-defined view of God. In this passage, Paul tells us what he knows is true about God, that he's a living God, that he's the savior of us all. It's, it's a God-sized vision of who he is, and that big view of God results in big discipline. Did you hear me? Letting God stay who he is, let him, letting him be the creator, the potter, the vine, the shepherd, right? Everything that the Bible says he is, when you have a big view of God and you let him be who he is, man, that has a net effect in how you live your life now based on your view of God, right? But the opposite is true too. If you have a cloudy definition of who God is, you're not sure don't expect high discipline from a low view of God, right? The two go together. So keep God who he is, who this book says he is. Affirm that, declare that, worship that God. Watch your discipline go up. So well-defined boundaries, priorities, view of God. Next, a well-defined message, right? Paul had trained Timothy in how to share the truth of God's word, salvation, and how to uh, encourage and equip God's people. And, and Paul was adamant. He says this multiple places. It's like, preach the word, get the word out, right? Give away, in essence, the very life you want to keep. And that's, that's one of the blessings of doing this live stream. I know that every Thursday, I got to get behind this camera and in this chair, and I'm with thousands of dudes every Thursday, and I got to get it right. And the process of getting to now, it's a little work, right? But 
giving it away with you right here, just this relationship that we have right here, when you give it away, it helps you keep the life that you want. And, and my encouragement to you, just on that thought, you have downloaded notes, make copies of those downloaded notes, or just make your own copies. It's God's word. It's there for free. Please, please, please reteach it to your high school boys. Reteach it to your family. Reteach it to your men's group. Why? Because when you reteach something, it helps you keep what you're teaching about. So when I, te when I teach about having well-defined boundaries, priorities, view of God, message, and I'm giving it away, I'm keeping it more as I give it away. All right. Fifth, disciplined living as God's man involves a well-defined self-perception. You know, there's a lot of guys uh, who pre-qualify themselves. Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, don't let anyone put you down because you're young. And that's not the only criteria. It's not the only negative self-perception that he might have had. But I know a ton of guys who basically pre-qualify themselves uh, when they go to minister. It's just like, well, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't know if the Bible, you know, forget about that, right? He says, don't, don't let anyone look down on you because you're, you're young, but be an example. Best teaching modem ever, modeling. He says, Timothy, don't worry about that perception of yourself that you're too young. Instead, focus on being an example, right? by your life, by your word, by your demeanor, by your love, by your faith, by your integrity. Let them see how you live in a disciplined way that you have a lifestyle. And that's the message. Guys, the world is confused because we do way too much of this and not enough living by example. Dads, your kids, they don't care what you say right? They care what you do. Every day, day in, day out, 365, year after year, are you consistent? Do people that you're trying to win to Christ, are you consistent in your service of them, your availability of them, who you are, what you talk about? Is there a consistency in your example? That's the best witness ever because it gives you a foundation then because of the integrity of your consistency, to talk about Jesus, because you're the real deal. I remember being in college, graduating, it was graduation day, I'm in my cap and gown, and one of the younger members of my fraternity who was an atheist, he said, uh, on that day, because we weren't gonna see each other anymore, we're at my fraternity with all our parents, and we're having a little party, and he just pulled me aside, and he just said, hey Kenny, I know that we, we don't talk a lot, but he goes, I've seen a lot of Christians. And he goes, during my time here, you're the only one who lives out what he says he believes. And I was just like, what? I mean, I know who I am. But he was watching. You know, guys, what the world needs now is guys who are consistent, where our self-perception no matter, we don't, we're, we're, we don't have to, we can be young, we can be new in the faith, we, but just be an example. Be an example, right? Forget what other people think. You live for an audience of one. That's the only perception that matters. And then focus on being an example, all right? The next 
disciplined lifestyle choice is having a well-defined source of direction. And this, this seems simple, but even for a well-trained disciple like Timothy, Paul said, stay reading scripture. All right. Why don't we just say it together right now? Ready? One, two, three. Stay reading scripture. Tell the men that are in your group, look at them. If you're in a men's group right now, look at them in the eyeball, look at somebody right now and say, stay reading scripture, right? This book, all right? It's like a mental marinade, all right? You know how meat goes into the marinade, takes on the character of the flavors in the marinade? Your brain takes on the character of what you meditate on, right? And in taking on the word of God, you become like the son of God. Right? So you gotta have a well-defined source of direction. And then lastly, disciplined living as God's man involves a well-defined ministry. Paul reminds Timothy, hey, there's a ministry you've been given. You know what I'm gonna remind you right now? There's a ministry that you've been giving. Automatically, doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or an old Christian. It's to love your neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor? People who are around you, wives, kids, Neighbors, literal neighbors, co-workers, community, people in need, anybody who's in need, and you meeting that need, boom, there's your ministry. Now, that's all of us. But you know what? God has deposited special gifts in you. They're usually the things that people will say to you, hey, you know what? You're really good at that. Anybody ever said that to you? Hey, you're really good with, with young people. Hey, you're really, you're, you're really good with, uh, with teaching. You're really good talking to people. You're really good connecting. You're really good welcoming. You're really good at hospitality. You know, get into that ministry. Get on your bike and pedal. Start moving forward. And, and the Apostle Paul, he says to this God's man, hey, be disciplined in your boundaries. Get, get your yeses and no straight now before you get into pressure. Have well-defined priorities, right? Discipline your life in God. Have a well-defined view of God. Keep them big. Have a well-defined message. Go get the word out. Give away what you want to keep. Have a well-defined self-perception. Audience of one, right? Set an example. Have a well-defined source of direction. Boom. Scripture, right? Have a well-defined ministry. He says, and that special gift of ministry you were given. Guys, every single one of us, has a special gift of ministry that God has given you. That's what the Bible teaches. He's deposited it in you. If you're not sure what that is, talk to your pastor, do a spiritual gifts assessment. And then when you get that score and it just basically mines out who you are and what you'd be good at in ministry, go do that, all right? You don't even have to ask any, any more questions. Just get involved in that, all right? Now, in conclusion to what we've just talked about, Paul says this to his guy, and God's saying it to us, his guys. He says, cultivate these things, immerse yourself in them. The people will see you mature right before their eyes. Keep a firm grasp on both your character and your teaching. Don't be diverted. Just keep at it. Both you and those who hear you will experience salvation. Wow. You mean my disciplined life creates an outcome that leads others to Christ? Yes. If we cultivate these things, if we immerse ourselves in them, right? 
and focus. Keep a firm grasp. Don't let go. You know, being God's man is not that complicated. All right? We're going to do whatever shows love for God and whatever shows love for people. And doing that might involve spending time with God. It might involve worshiping God. It might be with God's people. It might be using our gifts. But let's keep it simple, guys. Don't complicate it. Let's stay disciplined in doing whatever shows love for God and people. Don't be diverted. See, Timothy was going to the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean. He was going to Ephesus, right? And a lot of distractions. So you think we live in a time where there's a lot of distractions and where God might just want to say the same exact thing to us in this hour? Don't get diverted. Keep at it. Keep at it, all right? Here's a principle. There's the vital few things that we need to focus on, and then there's the important many. What's Paul saying? What's God saying to us this morning, guys? Focus on the vital few. Focus on me. Focus on my word, right? Be disciplined, right? Get your priorities right. Decide. Keep me big, not small. Get involved in the lives of people. Set an example. Simple blocking and tackling as God's man. Now, having said all this, how to live an ultimate life, we got to practice ultimate discipline, eternal discipline, right? It's going to cost you. That's why Jesus is very upfront and why I appreciate him. He said, hey, any man comes after me, he's going to have to deny himself, right? Pick up his cross and follow me. In other words, you're going to have to say no to the immediate in order to say yes to the ultimate. Pick your pain, all right? Look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 12 about this cost of discipline, right? And the perspective that we should have on it. It says this, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit ever more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. You know what I love about this passage is that it tells us you're not going to avoid pain, even though much of our culture says that's how you should build your life. You should build your life to get to a place where you can avoid pain, right? Not possible in this life. But when it comes to being God's man, there is a cost. There is a discomfort. There is a discipline. And you can't avoid it comes in two forms. Write this down. You will either experience the pain of present discipline, okay? That's pain number one, where I'm going to choose the ultimate. It's going to cost me, but the prize is worth the price, all right? Or we're going to experience the pain of future regret. That means that we got undisciplined on earth, and then we get to heaven and we see, looking back, I could have been disciplined back there, but it's too late. Aren't those the most horrible words? 
trying to run onto a plane. Sorry, sir, too late. The gate is closed. Sorry, sir, too late. That coupon has expired. Sorry, sir, the ride is closed. Sorry, sir, you're too late. Let me tell you something. That can happen on earth. You'll be fine. Don't let it happen in heaven. Because the regret that you're going to feel, especially after hearing this message, uh, man, it's short. Hang on. Stay disciplined. Don't give yourself a self-imposed vacation from your identity, God's man. Stay with it. Keep at it. Discipline your life. Stick with it. Get with guys who are sticking with it. Because you do not, I repeat, you do not want the pain of future regret. So guys, I'm going to be real upfront with you. It's going to involve some hard choices. You're going to have to go against your feelings in the moment and choose your faith. Some of you are in that boat right now. Some of you are going to have to go against the world and what you see everybody else doing and choose, instead of choosing the world and what you see everybody else doing, choosing God's word. Okay, that's the price. Others of you are being wagged by culture and the cultural narrative, right, versus staying disciplined and committed to Christ, right? These are hard choices, and they all take faith, but I'm telling you, the prize is worth the price. Let's pay it together, and when we get there, we'll have a celebration, and we'll just give each other high fives and hugs God's going to celebrate us, and we're going to go to that rewards banquet, and the quality of our eternity is just going to be so high, and we're going to look back in hindsight and just go, man, I'm so glad I disciplined myself to live for God and people while I was on earth. Let's pray. God, just even thinking about that moment just gives me goosebumps. Just thinking about stepping into your presence. When earth is over and eternity begins. And Father, I just see, I see an ocean of men. I see tides of men and they're in the battle. They're under pressure, God. I I see men who are facing decisions where they can choose what they know is true as God's man and then what their feelings are telling them to do. God, we pray for our brothers who are in that boat Lord, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit right now and give them just a divine flash of who they are. Give them insight and then a moment before you that helps them be disciplined. Father, help us to do daily relationship with one another. Help us to be in your word daily. Help us to get our yeses and nos right. Tighten us up, God, where we've allowed ourselves to get spiritually loose. Get that ratchet out holy spirit bolt us down keep us firm keep us focused god and keep us faithful lord until we meet you face to face in jesus name we pray and god's men said amen and amen god bless you and we'll see you next week